Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. the second service, which means you got more energy, so let's try that again. Happy Labor Day to everybody. That's better. All right. Well done. Well, as you saw up on the screen, I'm Steven. This is my lovely wife, Bailey, my more beautiful half, actually, three-quarters, five-eighths, more than that, all those in the book. Yeah. Anyway, I want to give her the opportunity just to say hey to you guys this morning before we look at God's Word. Yeah, good morning, you guys. I'm so proud of you. You guys turned up on Labor Day weekend. Well, some, of our, some of us were at the lake, I can tell, so we're missing a few. But, um, you know, I just want to thank you guys so much for your faithful giving. I know Pastor Michael just said that, but you guys are helping partner with us to do some amazing things in Kenya, and we are so excited about that. We are, we're just, we're yeah, it's awesome. super excited this year has brought an opportunity to really partner with you guys. Um, you guys have always faithfully supported Stephen, even when he was single, and then you've supported us as a married couple, and we're grateful for that. So thanks for being lights in your community, and uh, I'm just going to pray for the word real quick, and then we'll let Stephen start to preach. Thanks. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place this morning. We're so grateful that we can gather um, in this open air building. God, we remember those who are being persecuted around the world for their faith, and we yeah. thank you, Lord, that we can freely come in here this morning, that we're safe, Lord, that your presence is with us. God, we remember those um, in the Houston Bay Area. God, yeah. we thank you that you are, you're moving on in, in your behalf, God, just Jesus. to help, help those families and help those communities. God, we pray for our churches in that area that are um, being the light and being salt there. And we pray to you, God, over this church, you'd continue to expand it. God, you'd continue to move on our hearts to not just be your disciples, but to disciple those around us. Lord, may we always remember that as believers, our best days um, are still in front of us, and the worst day we'll ever have is behind us, because now we know eternally where we're going to be with you. So yeah. I pray your yeah. word would go forth this morning. It would tear down offenses in our hearts. It would tear down bitterness and insecurity. God, things that are holding us back from being fully devoted lovers and followers of Jesus. And we thank you for your presence. We pray you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, babe. Appreciate it. Well, you are a great-looking crowd of people today, from what I can see. There you go. got the spotlights out of my eyes. I'm glad to have the opportunity to share with you. In just a moment, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9 together. But before we do that, I just want to give a quick update on the Kenya uh, missions uh, endeavor. Um, the steelwork is complete for the first church. The foundations are going in, I believe, this weekend. So hopefully the next couple weeks here we'll have pictures of the entire church structure, um, which I think is pretty awesome that you guys have uh, been able to be a part of that. 
Uh, Kenya had their elections uh, last month, and that kind of really slowed things down due to African politics. On Friday, the Kenya Supreme Court uh, annulled the election, so they have to be repeated due to technicalities. So we would just ask that you keep praying for the situation in Kenya for peace to prevail. Uh, hopefully, church number two will start going up in October, November. So we are well on our way to seeing uh, what God is doing over there. I think that's awesome. i give you guys uh, a round of applause. Um, if you have your Bible or your iPhone or some other digital device, we're in uh, Luke chapter 9 together. And I'm going to pick this uh, story up in verse number 49. And this says, uh, John, the disciple, answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, don't stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> But Jesus turns to them, and he rebukes them, and they went on their way to another village. Now, this is a very unusual passage of Scripture, and I'm going to try to break it down for us uh, this morning. But if uh, you like to take notes, the title for today's message is simply this, Discipleship Stumbling Blocks, okay? Discipleship Stumbling Blocks. Now, I know some of us are more academic, and that title sounds a little bit too simple. So for all the erudites in the room, you could also write as a title, The Diabolical Impediments and Dilatory Entrapments in the Christological Confirmation Endeavor, okay? But for the rest of us who prefer more of the simple kind of route, we're going to go with Discipleship Stumbling Blocks, right? And um, I've defined stumbling block just so that we kind of have a point of reference to uh, present this message today, and I put it in your notes up here. Um, I define stumbling block as a situation, we're getting to that in a second, there we go, situations that test our commitments, just wanted to whet your appetite for Africa again, situations that test our commitment to Christ, okay? Situations that test our commitment to Christ, all right? And now we can go back to the lion uh, this is a picture of Adam Crisp uh, when we were over there. You can see that I know that because of all the hair on his legs. No, I'm, I'm teasing. That was a joke. Sorry, buddy. I had, to, I had to share a room with him when we were in Kenya. He snores and talks in his sleep, and that's all I'll say about that. Okay? All right, but here's the story behind this picture so I don't get completely off track this morning. A man comes across a lion while camping. Terrified, he closes his eyes to pray. When he opens them, he's surprised that the lion has his eyes closed too. It's a miracle, he exclaims. You must be a Christian lion. The lion says, I thought you were praying over lunch. <laughs> now, some of you are like, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> if you grew up in church at all, you may have heard at some point that the devil, Satan, has, uh, is compared in the New Testament to a lion. Does that sound familiar at all? It's found in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter says it this way, your enemy, the devil, grows, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, okay? Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, to connect stumbling blocks with lions and the devil, <laughs> um, what God is doing here at Foundations right now is absolutely awesome. 
In this season, this is a season where the Spirit of God is drawing people to himself. People are coming to find Christ. People are having their lives transformed. They're getting set free from addictions and bondages. New people are coming in almost every week. It's awesome. It's glorious. It's something to get excited about. It's a church where God's on the move. It's a place where you can say, you know what? I'm glad to be a part of a church that's alive and that's impacting the community, right? I don't know how it was for you when you gave your life to the Lord, but for me, personally, um, I never received a card in the mail from Satan that said, Dear Stephen, congratulations on your conversion. I surrender sincerely the devil. Maybe you did get a card like that in the mail. Probably not, right? It's facetious, but the point I'm trying to drive home is this idea that Oftentimes, once you make that initial decision or maybe you've been backslid and you come back to a place of following Christ, what you find is that life doesn't necessarily get easier. It actually gets more difficult. And the reason is, is because you have become a threat to the enemy and to his kingdom. You are now um, part of God's redemptive purpose to reaching lost people around you, right? And this can, if we don't understand this mentality that there are stumbling blocks that the enemy tries to put in the path of every believer to cause them to fall flat on their face, right? And so um, as we look at this, I just kind of want to talk about the life of John today, okay? And we're going to do a case study on him, and we're going to talk about some discipleship stumbling blocks that we find in this really random passage of Scripture that we just read. Now, let me just give you a caveat today and say that this is not an exhaustive list, okay? This is just the list that I see as being the top three that we can find here in this passage of Scripture, stumbling blocks that the enemy uses to trip up believers in their walk with Christ. Uh, How many know that discipleship is a process, right? Um, We have a core value here at Foundations Church. You've probably heard it from time to time. Growing equals changing, right? So growing people, disciples are people that are changing. It is, discipleship means that you can't be stagnant. You can't just stay fixed where you were in Christ. He's always calling us forward. And as we look through the Gospels, there's two kind of ideas that you always have to keep in mind as it relates to uh, discipleship, right? And the first is we have to understand the mission of Christ. And Michael kind of was uh, alluding to this during his time of exhortation. And we have to understand the kingdom of Christ, Right? By the mission of Christ, Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. We say here at Foundations, found people, find people. That's a missional statement, right? That is a statement of intention that we are going to live out our lives in such a way to impact other people. It's our outward dimension of service, all right? And then there is this idea of the kingdom of Christ, and the idea is that a kingdom is based on a king, not on me. And as Americans, we have trouble with this because we're a democracy, and we say that every person's voice has equal vote, and in a kingdom, only one person's voice has a vote, and that voice would be the king, right? And so this idea of submission and this idea of coming under the authority of Christ, that's our inward act of response in discipleship. So you have outward and you have inward, okay? I'm setting this up because as we look at this passage, it's going to make more sense as to what's going on um, in John's life, all right? Now, what's interesting to me about this passage, how many know there's four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Now, this story is actually about one of the authors of the Gospel, by that I mean John, right? 
But what's interesting is when you read the Gospel of John, you don't find that, this story anywhere in there, okay? So it's almost like Luke went, you know what? There's this story of what happened to John, <clears throat> and he's not going like to like it that I tell you this story, but I'm going to do it anyways kind of thing, right? And so you're kind of getting the, you know, those of you that have kids, and, you know, kid number one comes and says, Mommy, Mommy, he did this. And then kid number two comes, you tattletale. You know, so it's almost like Luke is doing a tattletale kind of deal on what happened in John's life, but Luke is going to do it because it illustrates the growth necessary in the life of every disciple to reach a place of fruitfulness. Growing people equals, or changing people equals growing people. Growing people are fruitful people in the kingdom of God, all right? Are we together? That's my introduction, okay? Everybody's still good on the direction we're going? All right. So remember, these are just three of the stumbling blocks that I think the enemy uses um, in people's lives to interrupt and oftentimes even destroy their, their progress in their walk with Christ. So number one, stumbling over themselves. So we put in the notes here, don't stumble over yourself, right? Now, I chose this story, and let's kind of look at it a little bit because it is an interesting story. I chose it because we see a picture of John, the disciple, that's very different than what we are used to. Now, I grew up in church. For those of you that grew up in church, you may recognize that when we talk about the disciple John, we usually talk about him as being an exemplary disciple. He's the one, he, the, the, he's called the beloved disciple, right? He's the one who leaned his head on Jesus' chest. You know, you look in the book of Acts, and he goes into the temple courts. The gate's beautiful, and there's a cripple, and it's Peter and John, and boom, they place hands on this guy, and he's instantaneously healed. And I grew up in Sunday school in Africa, and we used to sing, he went walking and leaping and praising God. Anyway, I won't go into my uh, singing voice now. We'll let Shannon handle that, right? Um, you get to 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. You get to the book of Revelation, and you're like, wow, this guy has amazing insight into the end times and the eschatological pattern of what's going to happen in our world. You're like, John, ooh, the gospel, uh, the, event, the disciple John, ooh, right? Everyone's like, John, we hold him in high esteem, right? Or at least that's how I was always taught. And so we think of him as a stellar disciple. Um, but there's always a backstory to every story. Did you know that? You have a backstory. I have a backstory. And I like to illustrate it this way. Um, the story of the uh, tourists in Italy, and they're going to all the towns, and they're seeing Raphael and Michelangelo and all the other Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles. No, never mind. But they're going to all the different works of art, and they walk in this little village, and they walk up to this old guy sitting on a bench, and they want to know, like, you know, what should we, you know, spend our time looking at here in this little town? And so they ask this guy, were there any great men born in your village, sir? And the old man doesn't even look up. He goes, no, only babies. <laughs> now, I know, it's cheesy, right? But think about this, because the idea is that no great disciples are just born in the kingdom of God either. We kind of have this mindset that, you know, if I give my life to Jesus, woo, magic wand, bing, oh, I'm a perfect disciple, woo, floating on the clouds, living like an angel, right? Not reality, right? And so you have this idea that discipleship is a process and there's no shortcuts in it. You guys with me? It's real life issues and challenges. It's being informed and transformed by the presence of Christ. So we come back to John, right? And we see John, and he's walking up to this guy. The Bible doesn't tell us his name. Apparently, he's in the process of casting out demons. Notice that Luke doesn't say that he was trying to cast out demons. Apparently, he was being successful in casting out demons. And John walks up to him, and he goes, stop, stop. You're not one of us. We won't allow you to do ministry in Jesus' name because you don't belong to our group. And then a few days later, 
<laughs> Jesus is looking for shelter in a Samaritan village, and when the people find out that it's a layover on the way to, to Jerusalem, they totally refuse because of how deep the racial divide is between Jews and Samaritans, right? And John, being a good Jew, <laughs> he comes up to Jesus and he goes, this is unthinkable. These people are wretches, you know? And then he goes, let's call down fire from heaven and barbecue them all. And you're like, dude, what? John the Beloved? John who received the revelation? John who wrote first, second, third? John, that, that John wanted to call down fire from heaven and shish kebab Samaritans? Are you guys following me here? In a matter of days, John, the one we know as the Beloved, has all kinds of nastiness spewing out of his heart, right? Racism, violence, hatred, selfishness, murder, offense, and spiritual elitism, just to name a few. And you know what really messed with me as I read this passage of Scripture? Watch this. What's funny is that it's not in a bar where this is happening, and it's not that John is backslid. It's in the active pursuit of serving Jesus. Now, can I ask us a question to bring this home today? Here's the question. What do we do when the state of our own carnality and selfishness is revealed while we are serving Jesus? Now, remember, we're talking about stumbling blocks, right? Are you guys remembering the whole title of this thing, right? So look at this. There's two options. When you're, in the, when you're in the thick of walking with the Lord, you've made the decision, you've prayed the prayer, you've filled out the card, you're, 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 you're coming to church, and then all of a sudden, bleh, bleh, the stuff is like coming out of you, right? What do you do? Well, one option is people give up on themselves and they go back to their old lifestyle. They stumble over themselves. You guys with me? Or number two, they realize that Jesus loves them the way that they are, but he absolutely refuses to leave them that way. Can I say that again? Jesus loves me just the way that I am. It's not based on performance, but he absolutely refuses to leave me that way. Romans 8, 28, the ultimate purpose of Christianity is that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You guys with me? Missionally, that's externally, and internally, that's conformity to his character as I come into submission to his kingdom. Growing people are changing people, right? It means that you recognize your need for ongoing grace in your life to repent and follow Christ. And you know what's cool? John did so. Here's a very familiar passage of scripture that if you've been coming to church for any length of time, you've probably seen before. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now put that into the context of what we just read about. John's saying, yeah, I had spiritual elitism, I had offense, I had a murderous spirit, I had violence coming out of me, I had the desire to elevate myself and be prideful, but he said, Jesus cleansed me. I'm not going to stumble over myself. Are you guys with me? John said, I'm not giving up on what Christ has started in my life. And I felt today that there was a word from someone in this service that you are on the point of giving up on Christ, you're giving up on church, you're giving up because you have seen the own nastiness and stuff that you are capable of. And the word of the Lord for you today is this, don't give up on what Christ started inside of you because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it even until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what the, uh, yeah, amen. You know, what the, you know what the cool thing is? I think the cool thing is that out of our biggest defeat comes our greatest effectiveness in the kingdom, okay? Can I, can I illustrate this using John again? 
Um, you remember we talked about four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter four, John tells an interesting story about a woman at a well. He's the only author of a gospel who tells this story. Can anyone help me? This is not a trick question. Does, can anyone tell me where the woman was from? Samaria. Exact same group of people who in Luke chapter 9, Luke's like, I've got to tell you this story because you're never going to believe it because John's over here going, the Samaritans had the opportunity to hear about Jesus and there was a great harvest. And Luke's going, yeah, but you'll never believe what in the world this guy was trying to pull off. He wanted to shish kebab him and call fire down from heaven. And John's like, yeah, but God did something powerful in my life and he changed me and he, he cleansed me of the spiritual elitism. And Luke's going, yeah, it's unbelievable. Are you guys with me? Or let's look at another example here in 1 John. Chapter 4, verses uh, 1. Remember John tried to stop the guy casting demons out of the man? Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I don't have time to unpack this whole thing, but throughout 1 John, John is going to talk about how you distinguish between the spirit of God and how you distinguish between evil spirits because what he's trying to set up is so that he will empower every believer to be involved in a ministry of spiritual deliverance for those that are under the oppression of the evil one. And so John is going from spiritual exclusion, stop, you can't do this, you're not authorized, to John's going in 1 John going, you believe in Christ, you have authority to cast out evil spirits, and you have authority to cast out evil spirits. Do you see how out of his place of greatest failure, God turned it around for ultimate victory? Isn't that awesome? From your biggest failure, if you will keep following Jesus, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, he'll wash away your sin, and he'll give you a platform to minister to others. I want to close this first section um, today by talking about our past. We've been talking about our present. As you're in the process of serving Christ, sometimes you stumble over your present, but some of us stumble over our past. Even though our past is past and it's well behind us, it's still active and causing issues in our present. And the analogy I want to use is the iPhone, right? And some of you know my wife started a company called Kibibi Design, and it's a missions company, and she's selling purses and handbags and all kinds of cool artifacts from Africa, and then she uses the money and gives it back to different women's projects and orphanages back in East Africa. Shameless plug, Kibibi Design. Okay. Um, but anyway, my wife loves taking pictures because of this, all right? And not that anyone's counting, but she has like 16,235 pictures on her phone. Again, no one's counting, all right? But let's just say that that's how many she has because it is. Um, and I have about 1,616 pictures on my camera as of about... Um, 1045 this morning. <laughs> so just in case anyone was counting, again, nobody's not. But what happens with my wife is that her memory fills up regularly, right? Because 16,000 pictures is quite a lot. Would you agree? Um, just nod your head, even if you don't agree. It makes me feel better about myself, okay? And so oftentimes, we'll be walking through a display or something at a shop, and I'm like, hey, hand me your phone. And I'm like, oh, is your memory full again? And she's like, yeah, okay, here's my phone. A hundred pictures later, she's got what she needs, right? That's a bit of an exaggeration. Um, but what happens is this. The problem is that if your memory is full because of past events, there's no space for you to enjoy God's present and future moving forward. Are you guys with me? And so what happens is you stumble over yourself because of things that happened way back when, and your mind and your heart and your emotions are so full of your failures and your things that you have gone wrong in your life that there's no opportunity for Jesus to break in and go, wait a minute. You've been cleansed, you've been forgiven, you've been changed, you've been transformed. If any man or woman is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. The old is past. Are you guys with me today? Clear out your iPhones, spiritually speaking, all right? Number two, 
Second stumbling block the enemy uses is we stumble over others. We stumble over others. So I put up there, don't stumble over others, and I think this one's easy to spot, right, in this passage. Who are the others in this passage that John is stumbling over? Not a trick question. One person knows, okay. Wow, my message is a great success today. One more time. Who are the others in this passage that John is stumbling over? The Samaritans, okay, right? So before you get critical of John, though, for wanting to call fire down from heaven and barbecue them, um, and you want to write him off as like the biggest jerk of a disciple you've ever met, can I point out something small that sometimes we do the exact same thing to people around us? Maybe it's not calling down fire from heaven on them. Maybe it's speaking curses about them behind them back. Maybe it's unfriending them on social media. Maybe it's attending second service because you knew they were going to be in first service. I don't know. Maybe it's snarky remarks behind their backs. And by the way, next Sunday, donuts, first service. If I were you, if I were, yeah, I would be in first service for donuts. Anyway, that was nothing to do with where I was going with that. Sorry, I got distracted. John is offended by other people's response in this passage. Now, here's, here's a uh, takeaway. You can't determine how people will act towards you, but you can determine how you will react towards them. Can I say that again? You can't determine how people will act towards you, but you can determine how you will react towards them. Notice with me, please, that, G, that the primary recipient of this offense doesn't lash out. Who was the primary recipient of the offense? It was Jesus, right? Jesus wants to go into Samaria. He wants to have his 12 disciples. He wants to spend the night. He wants to stay there. Jesus keeps quiet about the whole Samaritan affair, okay? He's like, not saying a word about it, all right? John wasn't even there. The Bible says Jesus sent two people on or some people on ahead of him to inquire if it was possible for Jesus to stay there in that Samaritan village. John is getting a second-hand report. It's nothing personal against him. It was directed towards Jesus, who is the primary recipient of the offense. But John picks up a secondary offense. Can I ask today, how quick are you to pick up other people's offenses? The number one way the enemy takes out believers is secondary offenses. I heard so-and-so said this about such-and-such, and therefore I can't believe that so-and-so did that. And you're like, were you there? No, but I heard about it, and I'm sure it has to be true, and I'm going to get offended about that, right? Person A called person B a cotton-headed ninny-muggins, and person C picks up the offense against person A, right? To put it in Buddy the Elf lingo for those of you that are nerds like me. And Pastor Justin, so we're in a good company together. Can you believe what so-and-so did? We call that hypocrisy, Right? Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I have seen this in my life up close and personal the past several weeks with so many believers or people who used to be believers, and the number one way that the enemy took them out is he got them offended with others, and almost invariably it was a secondary offense. Are you guys with me? So I'm not just like, oh, let's come up with some creative primary secondary thing because it has no relevance to where we are right now. No. This is so Vitally important for your spiritual maturity and development in discipleship. Person A says they are a Christian, but person A, what they say and do is not consistent with Christ's character and teaching. So we get hurt and offended because we label them a hypocrite. Therefore, we conclude anyone attending person A's church is also an A. <laughs> and therefore, the secondary offense is that God must also be associated as an A. Are you guys with me? And so what happens? Well, I'm not going to associate with God anymore. And I'm not going to go to that church anymore because they're all like person A. 
Now, the problem with that is that the logic is flawed. Let me illustrate with a story from growing up in Africa, right? Um, those of you that watch track and field running, you know that Kenyans love to run, right? I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. I'm really an African-American. I know it's a reality check, but that's the truth, okay? And we love to run. I love to run. If you follow me on Facebook, you know I'm always running here, there, somewhere. And I wanted to compete and do as best as possible in the different track and field events back in high school. And so I remember telling my mom and dad, hey, can you guys find me some really good running shoes? And my mom said, sure. Now, back in, this was, <laughs> to date myself, this was like the early mid-90s, right? And back in that period of time, Kenya didn't have good trade relationship with other countries, and so you couldn't get anything uh, legitimate and genuine from the United States. It was all secondhand knockoff from China, all right? So my parents went and bought me some brand new running sneakers, and they were Riobek, R-E-O-B-E-K, okay? Now, that is not a typo. I didn't misspell that, Riobek. My brother got a brand new pair of Punas, P-U-N-A, all right? Cheap Chinese knockoff. If you're Chinese to here, God bless you. No personal offense. Okay, anyway. I remember going out for my race. I've got these brand new shoes on. I've got my brand new Riobecks. I'm like, I am going to be fast as blazes. I am going to win this race. I am going to master this thing. I get a few laps into it, and all of a sudden, I feel some air coming into the bottom of my foot. I realize the sole of the shoe has disconnected from the body of the shoe. And so all of a sudden, you're like hobbling and limping, and then whoop, off goes the sole. I had a terrible experience with Riobecks, okay? I still have trauma. Pray for me. God will set me free, all right? Now, what if 20 years later, 25 years later, 20 years later, I'm not that old. <laughs> what if I show up to a shoe shop here in Tulsa and a shoe salesman says, hey, I want to get, sell you a pair of real, but, uh, Reeboks, there you go, Reeboks. And I'm like, ah, crazy, I hate that shoe, it's fake, it's crap, I won't buy it. You'd be like, whoa, dude, you got some issues, you need to go for counseling, right? <laughs> now, I believe this is what the enemy does to people all over the world. He convinces them that the authenticity of the gospel and of Christ's lordship is really fake because of a secondary experience that had nothing to do with God in the first place. You guys with me? And it plays out day in, day out, all over this nation. I ain't going to church. Bunch of hypocrites in there. Yeah, but Jesus is not a hypocrite. Are you guys with me? What if a gym, at a gym, what if somebody goes in front of, and you guys can tell I lift a lot in front of the gym, so this, <laughs> no. Um, but what if you go, what if you're a member of a gym, right? And all you do is you stand in front of the mirror all day long and go, <laughs> selfie. <laughs> and someone else walks in who's actually serious about lifting weights, right? And then they see this guy posing, and they're like, this gym is useless, absolutely useless, because all that guy does is stand in front of the mirrors all day long and doesn't do anything. I'm quitting my membership because this is crap. You'd go, dude, it had nothing to do with the person. But the gym had nothing to do with the person. Are you guys seeing the, 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 the example? This is the, this is the flawed logic. So I want to help us out with this idea of hypocrisy just really quickly because I've struggled a lot with this in my life. Can we look at it from the Samaritan point of view just to maybe give a second glance at what may have been happening? One day, some guy calling himself Jesus, who's apparently a rabbi, shows up with 12, people, 12 other men in the middle of the day asking for a place to stay and enough food for all 13 of them, and he's headed on his way to Jerusalem, your sworn enemy, and says, hey, would you let me sleep in your house tonight? And they go, ah. right? Sounds a little bit suspicious. So what's the point? Well, the idea is this. If you can look behind the mask of hypocrisy and actually see what's happening in somebody's heart and life, 
It's entirely possible that you could be part of the solution of helping heal the wounds and hurts in their lives that are causing them to act that way in the first place. But because we get offended, we pull ourselves away, stumble, give up, turn our back on God. Christianity, it's a joke. I'm walking away from it. The cool thing is this. John got over it, right? We already talked about it. We would have missed out on four books of the Bible, right? He writes after the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation. How awesome that he got over other people. We already talked about John chapter 4. He takes a whole chapter. It's like 70-some verses long just to talk about the Samaritans. And so the lesson is this. Don't write somebody off just because you don't like them or their actions. You never know what God is going to do in their hearts and lives. And oftentimes, you never know what he's going to do through your life to impact theirs. You guys with me? We live in a culture right now where everybody's criticizing everybody. We, we are. Whether you're on left, right, up, down, I don't know. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Our country is so divided, and everybody's criticizing everybody because, well, they're a hypocrite, and they're a hypocrite, and they're a hypocrite, and they're a hypocrite. And it's like, yeah, but at what point does the church be the unifying bridge that brings the left together with the right and says, we are one body, and we are going to cover each other's sins in love, and we're going to walk this thing out in grace and truth so that Jesus can be glorified? Just so you'll know that I'm not just speaking this from a top-down perspective, but this is kind of like one of these vertically messages that challenges me too. Um, several years ago, and I'm gonna be as vague as possible in this story. When I first moved to Africa as a missionary, I was in a country working for a very respected man of God, working with him. We were planting churches, teaching in a Bible school. And one day, this particular guy, he was a hero of mine in the faith, he lost it. I don't know what happened, but he lost it. He grabbed me by the throat, started strangling me, and started screaming in my face and bringing all kinds of false accusations against me, right? When he finally let go of my throat and realized what had happened, he was like, oh, he's so stunned that he starts apologizing to me. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And in that moment, I'm so shocked, I'm so reeling with what just happened, the incongruency between what a respected Christian leader is supposed to do and what just happened, the hypocrisy of it. I just went, oh, 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 oh okay. And I turned around and walked away, and I've told people that was the day that I not only almost resigned as being a missionary, I almost stopped being a Christian. The thing that kept me going was this idea that, you know, my sin is just as bad as anybody else's sin, and I'm still in need of a Savior, and so are you. And I can tell you that 12 years later, I had to work through it. It's like the onion, right? When it comes to offense, it's like the first layer comes off, and you're like, whew, I released that to the Lord. And then you go down on the road a little bit more, and you're like, oh, another layer. And then Jesus has to cut that off. And he keeps working on us. He keeps, he keeps, he keeps pulling away the offense and the hurt. And he had to keep doing that in my heart. And today I can stand before you and say God completely and totally restored that relationship. And he's now one of my greatest friends again. Why am I sharing it? Because I know that this is real life, guys. And I've been talking with people even as recently as a week ago who are, they're so hurt, they're so wounded, they've given up on God. And I'm pleading today, don't stumble over yourself and don't stumble over others. Finally, as we look to close, and those of you that have heard a preacher um, speak before, you know that when a preacher says, I'm closing, it doesn't really mean much, <laughs> especially one who grew up in Africa where services are three hours long. So buckle in and enjoy the ride, folks. No, just kidding. We're getting ready to finish. The third thing I want to say is this. We said don't stumble over yourself, don't stumble over others, and don't stumble over Jesus. You're like, Jesus? What do you mean stumble over Jesus? Well, can we look at this passage of Scripture one more time from a different set of eyes? 
Let's look at it from Jesus' point of view, okay? Jesus has spent every moment of every day since he has started his ministry trying to raise up these 12 men to carry on his vision, right? Jesus came with a mission. His mission was to seek and save the lost, to redeem humanity. And the second part of his mission was that he was going to raise up disciples so that after he got taken back to heaven, they would continue with the mission, okay? So Jesus has, he's vested. He has invested himself significantly in this endeavor, And here in this story, we have two of his top candidates, we've been talking about John, ready to destroy unsuspecting Samaritans. Jesus must have been real discouraged that day. (laughs) And Jesus has to deal with the heart issues in their life, right? And we see this um, that in Luke 9.55, Jesus rebuked them. In Luke 9.50, Jesus has to tell them, do not stop them. So we see this idea of Jesus rebuking his close personal disciples, those that had fellowship with him, right? And the reason I'm bringing this out is because I think sometimes we get real nervous when we start talking about this idea of being rebuked or being corrected, all right? But can I remind us, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that one of the purposes of Scripture is that every Scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin for correction of error and discipline in obedience. I like how Proverbs says it. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves or rebukes the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What I'm getting at is this. Don't be afraid of the Lord's rebuke in your life. We have a church in America right now that wants a sugar-coated gospel. Just to be perfectly honest, bless me, fill me, encourage me, lift me up, build me up, strengthen me, 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 me. And not that, you know, you have to have messages that strengthen you and that build you up. I'm not knocking that. But if all you have is one side of this gospel message that says it's all about you, 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 you build yourself up, you're good, you're, 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 and you never focus on this other side of the gospel that says actually there's a real, real serious problem with the human heart and it's called sin. And there's something that will kill your walk with God every single time. It's a three-letter word that starts with S, S, I, end, right? And so I want to use an example of surgery, and I'm not a medical doctor, so this may flop miserably, but uh, hopefully you'll get the idea. What if a doctor comes into you after you've spent time doing different tests and something's wrong in your body, and the doctor says, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. And you're like, okay, great. Let's start with the good news. The doctor says, the good news is I have some candy for you. You're like, what? candy for me. The bad news is, yeah, yeah, bring me the bad news. The bad news is you have cancer. You're like, oh no, this is terrible, right? Then the doctor says, but don't worry, just suck on this lollipop and you'll feel better about yourself. You'd go, that's absurd. That's malpractice. I want a doctor who's actually taking my condition serious, right? Well, here's the the bottom line. Sin is serious business and it will kill you like cancer. And so when we talk about conviction, we talk about the Spirit of God working in our lives, the point is don't don't stumble over Jesus because he sees things in our lives sometimes that we don't even see about ourselves. And it's not not that he's trying to kill us, it's that he's trying to come in and he's trying to identify these things so he can remove them from our lives. I illustrate it by saying that I, I travel with African friends everywhere I go, microscopic ones called parasites inside my stomach, right? Because I haven't grown up there. And sometimes I'll go into the, into the doctor's office and they poke on me and I'm like, oh yeah, it hurts there. Oh yeah, it hurts worse there. Oh, it hurts there. I have never once gone, doctor, I hate you. You're trying to kill me. Stop it. Why? Because I recognize 
that the doctor's job is to identify the problem in my system so that he can prescribe some kind of treatment in order to get me better. Are you guys with me? That's all that conviction is. Some Christians get wigged out. I'm getting convicted. Oh, Jesus must not like me. No, 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 no. Nothing like that at all. It's just that Jesus is trying to identify some things in your heart and your life so he can take them out and you can get back on track with where you're going. So we said, don't stumble over Jesus because of sin. And then the last thing, and this really is the last thing, don't stumble over Jesus with your unrealized expectations, okay? Unrealized expectations. I think the tendency is when we give our lives to Jesus, we've got a plan for our lives, right? And so we come and we've got our contract all prepared and we've got point one, point two, point three, and our five-year goals that are included in our sub-goals. And Jesus is gonna give me the perfect wife and the perfect house and the perfect dog and the perfect job and everything's gonna be great and my life's gonna be, ooh, just perfect. And oh, by the way, Jesus, could you sign on the bottom line right here on this contract? Because, you know, it's, I know what's best for my life, clearly. And so if you just agree with my point of view, everything will be great, right? <laughs> and then what happens is... Real life takes place. Anybody ever experienced real life? Real life in your marriage, real life in your job, real life in your family. And real life doesn't meet your expectation. Re reality and expectation go. <laughs> and so there's a verse I want to put up here on this passage. And it's a different John. It's Jesus' cousin John, so not the author of the gospel, but still another John. Luke 7, 23, he's in prison. He's preached the gospel. He's been faithful to Jesus. He had an expectation that Jesus was gonna be the Messiah. He's gonna come and bring his triumphal government to Jerusalem and everything's gonna be great again. And now he's locked away in a prison and he's days away from having his head cut off by King Herod. And he sends a word to Jesus and he goes, are you really who I thought you were? Ever asked that kind of question before? Jesus, are you really who people say you are? Do you really care? Do you know where I am? Look at Jesus' response here. Blessed is anyone who doesn't, what's that word? What's our title of our message today? Don't, discipleship stumbling blocks, right? On account of me. Don't stumble over Jesus. You know what the Greek word is here? You know I have glasses, so I'm nerdy, right? Um, <laughs> just kidding. The, 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 the Greek word here for stumble is scandalizo. Do you know what the English word is that we you derive from this Greek word? Scandalize. So this whole message, the, the, the whole strategy of the enemy to take you out in your walk with Christ is he wants to scandalize you. He wants to scandalize you over your own sin. He wants to scandalize you over your own failures. He wants to scandalize you over your shortcomings. He wants to scandalize you over other shortcomings. He wants to scandalize you over a church that's not perfect, because just like you're not perfect, but hey, who cares? As long as they're not perfect, we can focus on their imperfections rather than deal with mine, right? He wants to scandalize you over Jesus. He wants to scandalize you over God because of sin, because you're getting convicted, because of expectations and and go according and at the end of the day you know what happens people give up they say I'm done I'm going back to my old lifestyle so the message today and I really am done this time <laughs> you're like Whoa. don't stumble over yourself don't stumble over others and don't stumble over Jesus there's a destiny and a calling on your life there's a purpose there is something awesome that the Lord wants to bring about in and through us right as a church as a body of believers can we pray together as we close this message? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to look at Luke chapter 9 together and talk about John.
I'm so grateful that he didn't stumble over himself, that he didn't stumble over others, and he didn't stumble over you. Lord, he, he went on, he continued, he pursued the high calling, and he accomplished what you had called him to. It's so awesome to see, Lord, what you did with his life, and it's so awesome to see what you're gonna do with the lives of those in this room as they continue in this discipleship process as growing people or changing people. If you're here today, all eyes closed, and you'd say, you know what, Steve, um, there's, 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 there's conviction in my heart today because honestly, I've never really given my life to Christ. Or maybe I did give my life to Christ, but then I, I've been living a backslid life where I haven't, I haven't made Jesus really the center of any of my decisions or life. And today, I want to surrender. I want to make this decision to, 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 to give my life to Jesus. If, if that's you, I promise we won't embarrass you, but would you just slip up your hand real quick that we can pray for you, that you'd say, you know what, I'm ready. Today's the day. I want my life to count. Thank you. Anybody else? Okay, awesome. Can we just, can we just pray? I'm going to pray. Just if you raised your hand, pray this back after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart today. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you are doing something in me. I repent of my sin. I ask you to write my name in the book of eternal life. I thank you that you're my Lord and Savior, and I will live for you all the days of my life as you enable me. In your name I pray. And now the the second group I want to pray for is if you're here and you just say, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling with this scandalized thing, this whole, this whole offense thing. There's the, and, I can, and I see the enemy strategy today. The, the Lord has revealed it to me. And I just need special prayer. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, would you also just slip up your hand? I want to pray. Thanks. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? So many hands. Lord, you see your people. We bring them before you today. Lord, I thank you that you have made every provision for us to walk victorious. You sent your spirit to empower us. And I pray today over foundations. I pray today over this awesome body of believers with a heart for outreach and discipleship. I pray today that you would give us fresh grace, Lord, to overcome the stumbling block of ourselves, the stumbling block of others. And Lord, where there may have been times and there's conviction in areas of our lives that we need to address that, Lord, we would respond to you today and you, we would let you do what only you can do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We bless you now. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or in need of prayer or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.